from Washington. This is the HPS Macrocast with Hamilton Place Strategies and Markets Policy Partners. Good morning. It's Friday, March 11th. You're listening to the Macrocast with wild sound from the streets of Paris. This is Tony Prado. It's spent a week in, uh, in the UK and Paris and Brussels, and we'll talk a little bit about that today. Uh, John Fagan at Markets Policy Partners uh, uh, is with us, and uh, and the great John Dick is back uh, with, uh, we've got some ESI uh, feelings and uh, sentiment out there. And um, guys, I'll tell you, just like, just first off the top, uh, you know, here with all that's going on with, uh, you know, with Europe, in Europe right now with uh, uh, Ukraine and Russia, it is on the minds of everyone. Um, you know, there's a, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get into it more, but just a sense of, uh, there was a, like in the United States, of, of you know, pretty positive sense coming out of Omicron, mask mandates coming down, uh, things opening up again with the spring. And, uh, and then now this, a little hit to, uh, to growth and to sentiment. Uh, and in real ways also, as, uh, you know, John, we talked about before on energy here as well. So, um, so a lot to get into. We also have, um, uh, we have inflation, inflation spiking, uh, you know, or the reports on measurement of inflation spiking uh, this week. That's a concern here as well. And John Dick, people are feeling it, right? I mean, they're, they are no, uh, they are no happier than the last time we, we checked in, are they? No, no. I mean, it, there's no way to candy coat it. Consumers, consumer confident, it, confidence is in the tank. Um, our last public reading was last Wednesday, and it was a record low for as long as we've been doing the ESI going on 10 years. And it's lower yet this week um, and with no sort of declining end in sight. Maybe we'll hit a bottom and sort of settle there. But yeah, the uh, the consumer is not feeling terribly rosy at the moment. Uh John Fagan, the um, uh, you know at least one source of uh, the this you know uh, of the bad feelings is certainly inflation. Um, the uh, the report this week was I, I guess it didn't surprise anyone. Did it surprise in terms of uh, of uh, you know how fast inflation was? Uh, but everyone knew we were, no one was looking for a good report, were they? Exactly, and that's really the key. It's there wasn't really very much new information in this CPI report. It was an ugly number, and you've got these headline uh, you know highest since July eighty one or January eighty two, and the food component and the underlying details look awful and. Uh, as bad as it was, it really wasn't any worse than people were expecting. And uh, did it change? So often the dynamic really is uh, inflation expectations, um, you know, feeding into what people think what, about what the Fed is going to do. And, uh, and as bad as this number was from a headline perspective, it also didn't change really, uh, you know, futures markets uh, or any other, you know, analyst perceptions on, uh, on how the Fed is oriented toward its meeting next week. Uh, there's a lot of expectation that worse is uh, still to come here uh, on the inflation numbers. And that the debate about whether, you know, this was, you know, is this a product of over uh, monetary easing by the Fed or is it supply shock? Obviously, the balance, however you want to slice it, is is tilting towards supply shock dynamics here. Uh, and uh, and the Fed is in a, in a challenging situation and they look as though they're you know, ready to proceed with rate hikes, but not maybe at the aggressive 50 basis point clip that some had expected. Uh, despite what uh, how elevated these numbers are, you know, I'll, I'll just add to that, John Fagan, that that you know, Tony, you said sort of inflation is one of the things. I, I I think at least in our data, it's almost it's almost like the thing. 
Um, one of the one of the the other sort of sub sub subplots of last week's ESI is it was really the first time that we've seen that COVID has kind of lost its stranglehold on the American psyche. Um, Basically, for two years, the ESI sort of went up and down almost in concert with the rise and fall of 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 COVID concerns and COVID cases. And this is like an absolute stark departure from that, because, you know, obviously, you know, concern about Omicron is at at its, you know, some of its best levels. Um, Only, you know, maybe early June last year when vaccines had all the optimism pre-Delta. Um, so, so we've kind of moved on, not only have we moved on beyond it, but certain things that like painful irony about COVID sort of subsiding is that like people are commuting to work again. So now they're more, they're even more concerned about gas prices than they would have been a year ago when they weren't driving to work and people are scheduling, uh, summer vacations where they're going to drive or buy airline tickets and the prices are going to go up. So it's almost like, you know, the, the worst possible t- timing for all of this to happen as as people are planning to get back to their to their sort of pre-COVID lives again. That's a really great point. I, I, it, yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, I had been saying for, I think, a couple months on the macro cast, you know, that Americans are, are too sour about the economy because, you know, they're, they're as, they are as uh, down on the economy as, you know, I know we've only been measuring it for, you know, a little over 10 years now, but you look at you know some other measures that have gone on longer, and it's like you know they they, they are sour as the economy uh, as they were you know during the Malays days of the uh, of the A's. Now I still think it's a much stronger economy. We have still have low unemployment and still lots of economic activity. But you know when you have this like with a, you know the uh, you know, sort of one two punch now with um, you know no end in sight on energy prices, uh, you know, coming off, which means inflation sticking around longer. And now the Fed, the Fed and the ECB, frankly, in in a really tough place of, you know, having to do something to um, to uh, to choke off inflation. They're not going you know, to agree with John. They're not going to be as aggressive as we might have expected two weeks ago um, before Ukraine. But uh, they have to do something, right? I mean, they, and so even um, you know, if if, if growth is going to slow down because of inflation and because of just the other disruptions, then uh, it becomes an even trickier job for them. And I, I you know, I don't, I don't, I, I don't, I usually don't envy them. I definitely don't en- envy them in this present situation that they're in. Absolutely not. And we saw that earlier this week with the, yesterday with the European central bank decision where it looked as though to analysts that they succumbed to the idea that they've got to do something, but they aren't really sure what to do. And so they uh, kind of shuffled around the deck chairs. They decided to accelerate the withdrawal of uh, asset purchases and move that into a more aggressive mode, talking about uh, both winding up what everybody expected, winding up the pandemic emergency purchases this month, but finishing up their baseline quantitative easing bond purchase program as early as the third quarter. That's faster than everybody expected. But at the same time, delinking that earlier end to quantitative easing from rate hikes, which they pushed out in time. So it was like this muddled uh, situation. It was characterized as a hawkish surprise, uh, but the euro uh, retraced a lot of its earlier in the week gains and uh, peripheral bonds and, and sovereign bonds in the in the eurozone sold off and equities fell. It wasn't really something that 
you would want to see as a as a policymaker necessarily. And it just, as you say, Tony, it just speaks to the conundrum that they are in. And uh, they, they have to be seen doing something. But uh, stagflation is a very difficult puzzle to address uh, when you have limited tools uh, and the supply shock is as intense and intensifying as we see it uh, becoming. Yeah, and I do. Look, I, I definitely worry about it for, uh, you know, for Europe and it's on everyone's minds here, uh, you know, that if, uh, you know, that, 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 you know, no one, I don't, I haven't seen anyone, I haven't spoken to anyone who said that they were predicting a recession, but I, I actually think it, it has to be, you know, that's something that has to be on the table and it's, um, you know, it's unfortunate, but they were not, you know, they were not powering out of Omicron uh, in the same way that the United States was either. I mean, there's just a like, you know, in the United States right now, we're, we, we're, we, we're in a situation where we have, uh, you know, busting out of, uh, you know, post Omicron, making it feel like it's almost post COVID altogether, you know, uh, just a lot of economic activity returning and, um, and, and not the same linkages that, uh, that countries here have to Russia. Not that they're all that extensive. I mean, uh, we, I know we've, we've, uh, we're repeating ourselves a little bit on this, but like, you know, Russia does not have a you know, very well developed economy outside of commodities. And so, you know, there aren't a whole lot of things that are that are particularly disruptive. But a lot of these companies are, uh, you know, it is costly for them to pull out. It's costly for them to deal with people. Uh, the energy uh, costs are real. Uh, you know, if you think prices are high in the United States or in California, uh, they're a lot higher here and uh, and home heating uh, is is an issue also. So uh, so it's just, you know, it is a lot of stress for, um, you know, for uh, uh, consumers here. And so it's a question as to whether they're going to stick it out. Tony, I don't know enough about I'm not an expert on anything outside of the U.S. I know you guys are. But and I, and I wonder how how uniquely American this circumstance is. But every time I'm on with you guys, we talk about sort of the bifurcation of the country between the haves, have nots. And that's really been exacerbated during covid. But a big thing that, you know, we're seeing in, in the data now is the difference in consumer behavior um, among um, sort of people who are financially still better off than they were before COVID and those that aren't. I saw I was looking at uh, NPD group data this morning on the restaurant industry, and they they reported a um, restaurant spending in February was down like a point or two, which is more or less break even. But when you went a level below, restaurant spending was actually up by like 10 percent among people making over seventy five thousand dollars in household income and down nine percent among people making less than seventy five thousand dollars in income. And you've got so this very sort of two disparate groups of people going in different directions based on their financial wherewithal coming out of the pandemic. And I don't know if if, if other countries that you're you guys are experts in like have that same sort of like wage and income disparity that we seem to be having this rift between, you know, groups here, but it's definitely coloring. Like you said, so many things about the economy here are strong, but it's, it's not monolithic by any, by any stretch. And that's animating some of the policy debate, obviously in the state of the union address, president Biden circled back to some of the build back better, although it's moribund, uh, but build back better uh, in in pieces. And the case that the Democrats have made and are making, I think, in more forceful terms now under the circumstances, uh, which are allowing them to make the case uh, a little more uh, a little more forcefully, is that, yeah, lower income uh, strata really need some help here. And uh, and that targeting some stimulus policies, not blanketed and the massive kind of uh, magnitude that we saw during 
during the height of the COVID crisis, uh, but some targeted relief uh, for the for the groups that are most impacted by these uh, by these supply shock prices. We don't see you know food. One of the things, and to your question, John, overseas, one of the things we don't see here in the U.S. is the kind of uh, direct. Uh, food price impact. Food prices are high in the U.S. and higher, and inflation, food pr- inflation is really meaningful. Uh, but it's it can be in emerging markets. It can be even more acute, obviously, uh, because they have less processed food. Uh, the inputs are more direct, more directly feed through into the uh, that purchasing basket of households, and it also usually uh, at a time like this comes with a dollar rally, and that's beginning. That that certainly has begun um, in uh, to to pick up steam here over the last couple of weeks uh, with the dollar uh, jumping against uh, against other currencies. At the same time, oil prices and commodity prices are going up, which means if you're you know in an emerging market and the value of your currency is going down. And uh, this is a very, it's a very, very challenging situation. So uh, the, you know, as uh, obviously as, as tough as we have it in the U.S., uh, there's there's the case to be made that our economy and uh, and and uh, asset, you know, dollar values and so forth can diverge from the rest of the world, which is in even a worse spot. So what you what you have in, uh, you know, in, in Europe is, you, you know, you do have a social safety net. And so you do have so there it, it is easier uh, to be on the lower runs here than it is often in the United States. It's a little bit more it's more developed here. And they tend to avoid high highs and low lows. You know, their their growth doesn't tend to break out like ours does. Uh, and it doesn't spike down in the same way in and do uh, and, and hurt, uh, you know, more vulnerable populations. And, you know, we end up having. The things that they, they have on automatic pilot are things that, you know, we have to pass, uh, you know, uh, extended unemployment benefits for, uh, for example, or, uh, you know, or food stamps or other kinds of support. They have that more of that established. But, you know, we should never forget in the United States that we also have um, enormous ability to support the economy in ways that that are really hard to do here. I mean, the, the you know, Europe did uh, w- was able to do pretty uh you know it took a while took a long time for them to be able to get the fiscal response in place but it was pretty substantial for europe and so they have that underlying support there you know everybody here talking about the, you know the failure to get build back better you know it's just they, like they just passed that 1.5 trillion dollar uh, appropriations bill last on the bus bill for the for the rest of the year and like did some significant increases in spending and a lot of programs you know and uh, there's going to continue to be fiscal support, uh, even with the, you know, we know the direction on uh, on Fed policy is going to continue to be monetary support, too. So, you know, pretty accommodative uh, monetary policy situation. You, you know, you can, you know, money is still really, really cheap to get here. And uh, so I don't, I don't worry so much about the U.S. economy. I think we are going to power through it, but I do worry about them here i think um i think they're going to have uh th- this period is going to be a harder time for them uh but at least you know they were they were slow to uh to get that fiscal support for covid they've also been kind of slow to spend it you know so there's still a lot to spend so they do, still do actually have some uh some fiscal support coming in from covid and in the global growth sphere one of the other places that is flashing at least amber on the dashboard is china uh, we've seen Beijing recommit, well, commit themselves to a 5.5% growth target this year. Uh, but that looks like something they might have to make up in a statistical <laughs> kind of way uh, rather than reality. And the 
credit aggregates, monetary aggregates for February came in. They all looked weak. Uh, basically, the demand for loans uh, and even mortgage mortgage loan growth was negative for the first time since the global financial crisis era. Um, uh, Premier Lee came out and said that the, the leadership is going to have to do more. And uh, and this is at a time when they're really struggling with uh, with this COVID zero and uh, and how that's not particularly compatible with Omicron and uh, and the reality. So it's a that's that's certainly one to watch. Um, and uh, it's also coming at a time when China has tethered themselves to Russia uh, and uh, created some you know, potential uh, additional blowback on the U.S. policy side. We saw the SEC come out yesterday and identify five Chinese companies that are on the potential chopping block for delisting if they don't cough up their uh, financial uh, financial records to U.S. auditors. Uh, this is this is a uh, this is a challenging a challenging balancing act uh, for China, and uh, and I think that you know the, the the eyes of the world certainly are uh, you know looking looking very cautiously at Beijing's next move. Sean Dick, are, are people? I, I know I've asked you this. Uh, I think I asked you the last time you were on, but you know, now are people paying attention to uh, to, to Ukraine Russia? I mean, it seems you know it seems like it from oh. where I'm seeing. And, oh, but, but oh. Do, you, do you expect that to last if they are? Yeah, I mean, they are in, I mean, the 95% of the country is following news on it. 93% are, are, are characterizing themselves as, quote, concerned. 87% are, are worried about some direct impact on the U.S., whether it's direct impact on their finances. There's a heightened level of fear of, like, cyber attacks on the U.S. as as this unfolds. I mean, yeah, I mean, the, com- the country is riveted by it. Um, and, and I don't mean that just as like news consumers, but it's like front of mind for everyone. The sense that this could bleed into a, a conflict that has, you know, like safety implications on the U.S. Like, yeah, there's there is there's no question about it. Um, it is the it is the it is the thing most responsible, maybe even so even more so than, quote, inflation directly. It is the thing I believe dragging down consumer confidence the most which is yes partly its impact on inflation and gas prices but also just the general sense of fear we haven't we haven't been in a situation like this for you know there are, there are, there are grown adults right now who've never been lived lived in a world where something like this was happening where it felt so close to home for us so yeah i mean it's it's uh it is the thing how long will it last if it's a protracted war um which it looks like it's going to be i, I it's hard to i don't know it's hard to know it's a psychological tax uh and you know being in the beltway you always have to correct for where you are and uh and so it's quite acute here uh but the fact that the statistics that you brought to the table uh i i think you know really are are <laughs> those are huge numbers and by the way they're incredibly nonpartisan. I mean, it's 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 like this thing that people have agreed on the most as long as we've studied this, regardless of the size. I mean, we did a survey this week asking um, whether people believed companies should stop doing business in Russia. And it was almost universal agreement by both sides of the uh, political aisle. I mean, it was I mean, again, for uh, for us to see like 80, 90 percent of agree- Americans agreeing on anything is just astonishing. And, and this is the thing. I, d- I do have one question. Maybe you guys no, I, I something we could figure out, I guess. But like, I hear you saying sort of that these the U, the U.S. largely is better off than than most or all other countries in terms of being able to weather the implication of this or even the implications of like inflation and gas prices like are largely worse everywhere else than they are here. I wonder if the average American knows that. Right. We're so we're so kind of like 
caught up in, oh my God, all these horrible things are happen- happening to Americans. But I doubt most of them realize we're so much better off than the rest of that. These things are happening. Not only are they happening everywhere in the world, but they're happening worse in other parts of the world. Yeah. I mean, there's this, I think there's a, it's, it's, it's always hard to have a huge country like America, which is generally inward looking in so many different ways, cast an eye overseas. And, uh, and, and that's, I think that's, uh, that's manifest itself in a variety of different perceptions about the country. But uh, you know, I don't think that there's anybody that could possibly be watching the news that doesn't have, you know, this this incredible sympathy for the refugees in uh, in Europe, in Eastern, in the in from Ukraine and the the responses um, that the generosity of the people in Eastern Europe uh, to be stepping to the plate and, and helping out. It's you know, it's a galvanizing. This is not how you would want, you know, U.S. political divides to be bridged. This is not how you would want the West to be and the free world to be re-energized and galvanized. Uh, but that's certainly a dynamic that we're that that uh, that is uh, is is manifest. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, um, I, I mean, I, I, I know it wasn't Putin's uh, objective to bring, uh, you know, uh, Americans together um, to bring the the transatlantic alliance back together. Uh, and, uh, but that's exactly what he's accomplishing. I don't know, John, if, if I don't think people, um, you know, really, you know, realized it, uh, you know, that, I mean, I do, I do think they see these pictures. They didn't react the same way when it was uh, in other, in other parts of the world. Um, but they, they are, they do seem to be reacting to, uh, uh, to, to what they're seeing on the news today. And, uh, and it's good to see that, that, you know, people are, are, you know, coming together in universal view of that something should be done about it. And, uh, and that we are on the right side of this, but it's not going to, uh, like, as you said, it's not going to go away. Uh, quickly, this I don't see this settled quickly. I, I think uh, you know Putin is uh, is pretty entrenched. I think his army is on a clumsy, slow but ultimately effective march, and his economy is in for really dark days ahead. And I mean, like 1991, pre 1991 style days. I mean, really, really dark days for that economy. You know, uh, Russian people are not going to be. Uh, doing very well. And we're going to, we're probably going to see that, uh, you know, some of that as well. So this is not, you know, it's obviously not good. I echo John, uh, John Fagan on uh, just, uh, you know, concern for the people of Ukraine and what they're going through, uh, having literally done nothing, you know, uh, you know, they've done nothing except want to be part of, uh, you know, Western, Western economy, and the, uh, uh, and, you know, uh, you know, free markets and, and democratic, countries and uh and we're in a tough place to be able to help them you know we're not we're we're not really all that able to help them and that's frustrating uh for everyone too but uh yeah it's it's true but you have to look at what the sanctions so the sanctions that uh the white house has put in the the commentary i think i totally agree with the commentary that says that these are concerted determined aggressive uh they're having a big effect on uh on russian on on russian financial markets financial assets a big impact on the economy uh over the over the you know in a in a very short-term way too this is a very, very strong response. And I think, you know, when you look at the the kind of things that people talked about when you know, the risks that the White House might be taking with the dollar as a reserve currency, the questions about whether you have, you know, the propriety, the wisdom of, of 
basically essentially kicking Russia off of this and uh, sanctioning their and, and reaching out and touching their their FX, their foreign exchange reserves. I think when you know when we think about it, uh, you know, first of all, if you've got a dollar, if you've got a, a dollar reserve currency world order, any reasonable order has to have some rules. And uh, and if you step over the red lines, you're out. And you know, no one knows exactly where those red lines are, but we know that Russia's way over them. So if you're you know, you might as well let in North Korea if you're going to let Russia stay. Um, and then, you yeah, know, at yeah. this point, and then second of all, the, the slippery slope argument, like, well, if you're, if you're going to, if the U S is going to be sequestering central bank, uh, foreign exchange reserves, then every reserve manager in the world is going to be worried about their dollar reserves. Well, you don't have to worry about them if you don't have a war of aggression on a neighbor that didn't do anything. Uh, you know, it's not like we're just flinging these around. Uh, it's a pretty, it's a, it's a pretty, significant standard. Uh, and, and if you're not going to uh, commit a historical uh, geostrategic crime, you don't have to worry so much. Uh, so I think that that's and, and, you know, the idea that this is going to push Russia and China to set up an alternate. They were doing that anyway. Right. So I, I think that, you know, the 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 dollar, the dollar system is the the stewards of the dollar reserve currency system at the Treasury and the White House are doing exactly what they should be doing. I agree. I am not. Uh, I'm not worried about the dollar's uh, role as the uh, as the uh, you know the the most important reserve currency in the world. I don't think it's something that China wants and is even capable of doing. Uh, you know, but uh, be, be, there's a lot of uh, there are just um, opportunities in being a reserve currency. There are a lot of obligations of why someone would want to reserve in your currency. And uh, and that requires, you know, open financial systems and they're not they don't want an open financial system. They're not going to have an open financial system uh, that's not part of their goal. So, you know, that's not what um, that's not what they're going to do. And Russia is um, it's you know, it's not it's, it's not even worth the conversation. Right. I mean, I might, well, might as well be talking about like the Brazilian the Brazilian real as a reserve currency. There's, um, you know, these, to your point, you know, uh, it doesn't take, you know, it doesn't take much right to be a decent country like right don't invite don't in, don't invade your neighbors and you're you're probably gonna be okay in the global uh in the global financial system you know it's kind of a low bar uh <laughs> you know so russia's not clearing it but it's a low bar john and uh and john dick i'm gonna uh i'm gonna uh bid you all au revoir from uh gal du nord in paris uh sorry i couldn't get to a quiet place for this but uh but maybe you got the sounds of Paris on the streets a little bit uh, too. I think we had one. I think we had at least one Klaxon uh, European style police car go by. I think you guys heard that. Hopefully, uh, the sights and sounds it, uh, bring you back. Uh, well, I, I will tell you. I'll tell you this. Speaking of uh, United States, I, I get on. A, I'll fly tomorrow back to uh, United States. It's always great to go. I love. I love uh, traveling. Great to be back traveling again uh, after a couple of years. And uh, uh, but it's always great to come home. And uh, so I'll see you. Uh, I'll see you back in DC. Catch you on the next macrocast. Thank you for listening to the HPS macrocast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and share.